Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast. I am Meredith Bond, uh, the experienced writer of our duo, and with me is... I'm Prue Warren, the inexperienced writer of our duo. (laughs) You had said to me before you hit record, how are you doing? And what I'm doing is uploading books that have not yet been vetted by the many thousands of people who need to vet my books in order to buy ads, right? Promo stacking ads that say, here's the link to Amazon. Here's the link to Apple. Here's the link to Kobo. Here's the link to Barnes and Noble, which means you have to have something uploaded to those sites before you can buy the ads. But the ads do sell out on the biggest and most popular newsletters. So you have to all of a sudden splat out a pre-order book long before it's ready to be seen by humans in order to buy the promo ads. Oh, I've been having. Well, you can. There are some retailers that allow you to have what they call an asset less pre-order, which means that you don't actually upload anything. Amazon allows you to do that. I think uh, Apple allows you to do that. Ashworth does it too. I know that. Well, but all of them will say, you can upload, even the ones who say you have to upload something will say, okay, you have until, you know, three days before, five days before, 10 days before to make whatever changes you want. So I'm not really worried that someone is going to get a book of mine that is full of commas in the wrong place, which seems to be my flaw. (laughs) But I, I was sort of panicked to realize that if I wanted to buy ads for the fourth book, I needed to get the fourth book up. Right. And and Apple is the devil, you know. I am, and I am an Apple user. I, all my products are Apple. They're killing me. They're killing me. They want ten days before they'll approve. I, they're just killing. Me. They're killing me. So anyway, my answer is, oh, uh, I'm fine today. <laughs> I'm fine, really. Why do you ask? Do I not look fine? But, <laughs> but that's not our. That's not our topic for today, is it, Mary? No, actually, it's not. We're going to talk about ads next week but this week (laughs) this week I wanted to talk to you about what I just wrote my blog post on because I think that it's something interesting last week we mentioned that when I was writing my outline for a scene that I recently had to write all it said was they play chess there's witty banter Witty banter, I remember, right? You remember the witty banter. Well, it occurred to me as I actually sat down to write my witty banter (laughs) that I had no idea what the witty banter should be about. Right. Right? I didn't know the purpose of the scene. So that's what I wrote my blog post on this week because knowing the purpose of a scene, why it's there is so very important. And I'm going over this with one of my clients as well. He will write 
basically a short story within his book. And I read it and I say, wow, that was a terrific short story. What the hell is it doing in this book? (laughs) It stops the forward momentum cold to tell me this. It's just an aside. It's not even, you know, the main plot of the book. It's just a small little story within his book. And I, I read it and I say, that that's wonderful. It's loads of fun. It has nothing to do with the rest of the book. Why is it there? I think so, that's fascinating. Yeah. So I'm thinking about this. We need to know why a scene is there. And it has to be there for two very good reasons. Ah. The first one is the author's reason, the author's purpose, whether it is character development or furthering the romance or showing us the dead body or, <laughs> you know, showing, you know, having the, the protagonist being accused of killing the body right. before it was a body when it was alive. <laughs> whatever it is, the author must have a reason for putting in that scene. I'm with you. I'm with you. So I'm assuming that for play chess, have witty banter, I would assume that certainly when you start by saying play chess, we're going, that scene demonstrates that she's more than just a beautiful face. She's, she's intelligent. She is intelligent. Yes. So, and also witty banter, you need to be pretty with it and on top of things and and clever to engage in witty banter. Right, right, right. Good. All right. And then I assume the second thing, author's purpose being number one, and then character purpose. Right, exactly. Everybody everybody in the scene has to have a goal. Well, especially the point of view character. The point of view character needs should have a goal within the scene. They should need to have something they should need or want something that will hope that either they'll get it at the end of the scene and our story move forward, moves forward, or they won't get it by the end of the scene and there's conflict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Say it one more time. Either they get it. Either they, the point of view character's goal is achieved at the end of the scene and the story mm-hmm. moves forward mm-hmm. or they don't achieve their goal by the end of the scene, which creates conflict. I love it. I love it. Okay. Uh, this is going to help me. I'm doing, as you know, I do my, um, every week uh, I write an installment of a story and then 60 readers get to vote on what happens next. Right. And I, I've come across a scene. We're deep into it now. I'm on the 23rd episode uh, and I am losing my hold on the reins, right? I'm, I'm losing track of what went before because I, this is the, the ultimate in pantsing, right? Because I can't decide it's, it's, it's been a real challenge for me. It's been very fun. Uh, <laughs> but that's literally what I literally had to do when I sat down to write the next installment yesterday was write down. What is it? Everybody wants. I mean, there are five people in the scene. What's the goal here? What are they, what is it they want? So mm-hmm. you've really given me a boost here. Because the character's purpose is what I was writing. The author's purpose is more vague because I'm relying on other people to define what my purpose is. It's, it's <laughs> along with buying promo stacking ads, 
it's confusing. I'm, I'm in a, this is just my time of confusion. <laughs> well, the nice thing about having a, a seen purpose is that if you're a, it works very well if you're a plotter, because when you are plotting, you can just write on your note card or your whatever it is, however you plot your outline, the two purposes of the scene, the author's purpose, the character's purpose. Mm-hmm. But if you're a pantser, you can still do that just after you've already finished writing the book. Mm-hmm. And because the big job of writing for a pantser comes in the editing. So when they're going back and rereading the story and editing what they've already written, then they can look at a scene and say, okay, what's the purpose of the scene that I wrote? How does it move the story forward? Is there a clear goal? I think, you know, I I began as pantser and it was only until I learned the structure of a romance that I, that I realized I wasn't a very good pantser, (laughs) (laughs) but I can see that if you're writing along, if you're pantsing along, waiting for the characters to tell you what happens next, there does has to come a moment where you say, all right, they're going to sit down and play chess now. What is it I need to accomplish? Even, even a pantser has to accomplish goals. You have to say, look, they've, we've gotten into the beautiful book line study with a chessboard in front of us. What is my purpose here? And then what are the, I think pantsers can use this concept too. Mm-hmm. They can either use it while they're writing or they can use it afterwards while they're editing. Mm-hmm. All right. It makes perfect sense to me. So when you start, when you start your scene, my cat is now attacking things on my desk. She's, I might have to put her out. Um, when you, when you start a scene, you literally write down, this is the scene goal and this is, this is my goal and this is the character goal. Uh, yeah, I will sometimes. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm more of a pantser than I thought I was. I think that's, because, I think that's. Yeah. Cause I need to know where I'm going. One moment, please. While I, while I get rid of the cat, you keep talking. I'm listening. I'm just walking away. Okay. <laughs> we love our pets. Um, so yes, when I am sitting down to write a scene, when I'm going to start writing a scene, I need to go over what my goal is to write the scene because otherwise I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where the characters are going. I don't know what they're going to do. And that helps me set my mind and, and, and formulate my thoughts and, and create the scene. Well, when you did your original outline, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to have this example of they play chess and there is witty banter. When you wrote your initial outline of the book and it said, play chess, witty banter, can you hear the cat in the background? Again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, was that not an appropriate time to make that choice when you wrote the original outline? How it you- should I should have done it when I wrote the original outline and I didn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah, I think um, this, this scene was a scene that I added in later after I wrote my original outline. And so that was. Oh, I like, see, I like that because what you're telling me is that you have, there's, there's room for a little pantsing, even amongst the best of the plotters, there's room for. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good, good. I'm delighted. I'm delighted with that. Uh, 
Can I direct you back to something you said almost at the beginning, which was something about an aside uh, mm-hmm. that you're, the person that you're working with had written a short story that was a full aside. And I'm thinking of um, the, uh, any, virtually any Shakespeare play, there come moments when a character will turn to the audience and have a little conversation with them, right? It's a full-on <laughs> official dramatic aside that increases the audience's investment in the plot, right? That there are asides that are used carefully and thoughtfully that are terribly effective. Absolutely. And you can do that in the theater, but can you do it in a novel? Well, uh, you know, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of um, uh, Jane Eyre and the the classic phrase, reader, I married him. (laughs) I mean, I think there are opportunities, and I, I, I don't know, it's sort of off the cuff, but I think there are opportunities where authors can break the fourth wall and, and acknowledge that they're being, you're being told a story that are terribly effective and, and make the reader feel as though they are more, even more involved in the story. Hmm. Yeah, now, breaking I, the fourth wall definitely does that. It does that. I think you have to be very skillful. Uh, I know you haven't seen Deadpool, and I think probably as regards your character, you probably would not like it. It's a superhero movie, and the hero is a guy who consistently breaks the fourth wall. He's constantly going, oh, my God, that was that was an obscure reference inside an obscure reference. Oh, my God, that's like breaking the 16th wall. Um, so I, I find it, I, I think, in the right hands. And a side can be a real way to build build relationship with the reader or viewer. You know, I think you're probably right that it's probably easier to do in the theater. Yeah. Um, but an aside doesn't even need to be a, a fourth wall breaker. After I wrote out my blog post and went through all of this, then I said, of course, there's always an exception to the rule. And I give the example of Suzanne Clark's Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. Which I own and have not read. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Read that book. It is fantastic. It is the greatest book. And you feel so good after having read this enormous thing. It is 780 pages. And according to Amazon, weighs nearly three pounds. I love a big book. That doesn't daunt me at all. You suck me into a story. I'm good. I just have never, I've just never cracked it. But okay. So what are you saying about, about asides and scene purpose in that book? Right. So that book, it has a through line story, right? But throughout the book, you will read a chapter. And I think it happens like three or four times. You will read a chapter And you'll get to the end of the chapter and you'll say, wow, that was a great story. It has nothing to do with the rest of the book. (laughs) But it was a terrific short story. And she does the same thing with footnotes. She'll put in an entire short story in the footnotes. Wild. It is. It's hysterical. But, I mean, she does eventually get through the story. It just takes a super duper long time because it's filled with short stories. That's wild. That's, I think that's fascinating. And I do think rule breakers who do things like put footnotes into a romance or, or any fiction, I think that's very bold. But you have to be skillful. You can't, 
you can't just lard it in there. Do you think that what she's doing is she's come up with backstories for her characters and decided the backstories were so good she needed to tell them? It is both that and she's world building. She's world building. Right. So she will tell an entire short story about somebody who just happens to walk onto the page who has really very little to do with this, the real book. Mm-hmm. But, you know, is is a very minor tertiary whatever character. And her aside will be this entire person's life or what they're doing. That's, you know. That, oh, yeah. And okay. So, Back on my to-be-read list. That's excellent. Yeah. That sounds really fun. Um, I'm thinking about asides in uh, the written word. And I'm wondering what you think about The Princess Bride, of course. Uh-huh. And the movie has fewer asides than than the book i mean the book is perpetually uh it's not it's not quite addressing the audience but it is the book leaps from scene to scene between the modern day guy telling his son the story and the story of buttercup and wesley and i think that that builds tremendous intimacy in the reader that this is my buddy who's telling me a story i know who william goldman is and that, I, but I, but I think that was incredibly skillfully done. Oh, absolutely! And I still remember my daughter when she was like ten or eleven, maybe twelve, suddenly screaming at me from across the entire house. We had a, an open plan house where there was a balcony, and the the balcony looked over the living room, and I was like in the kitchen. And she was outside of her bedroom and suddenly she screamed, oh, my God, it's all fiction. She hadn't realized. (laughs) That's beautiful. That's gorgeous. That's gorgeous. She thought that the part of the modern day part where he was telling his son the story was real. Right. Well, it does give you that feeling. It gives you that feeling. It does. And it he is, does that deliberately. Does it but deliberately. She had not realized that the entire book from start to finish and everything in between was fiction. Right, 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 right. Well, but that's, that's, I think that's, I think someone older than 10 to 12 would also get caught up in that and go, oh, oh yeah. I see what's going on. Yeah, right. That's a, it's a very cleverly done book. And it just makes me think that the concept of the aside when you've come up with this juicy backstory and you're just longing to tell it is a trap for people at my level. A novice should not be drawn into that. If I wrote a great backstory that needed to be told, I think I would hope that you would make me resist and provide it as uh, please, please sign up for my newsletter or go to my website backstory or any other way so that it does not interrupt the progress of the story that I'm telling. That is exactly what I'm doing with my coaching client who is filling his novel, which is now at 600 some pages and it's not done yet. Mm -hmm. Um, He fills this book with all of these short stories. And I keep saying, keep writing those short stories. They're wonderful. But after you're done, we're going to pull them all out and you're going to publish them in an anthology. That's That's a great idea too. Because he doesn't have a newsletter and he doesn't, he, he writes with a, a partner. Um, and so he doesn't want, they haven't figured out the logistics of how they would do a newsletter with the two of them. So he said, 
we are collecting these short stories and we're going to put them all into an anthology to publish alongside a the companion, novel. a companion piece. I think that's a really neat idea. What a smart thing to do. I know, but I'm not stopping him from writing these stories as they come to him. He's a bit of a, he's a pantser. And so I don't want him to lose these stories. Right. They're, they're wonderful stories and, and they really show the character and, and develop the character and, and develop the world. And so they're great. And I don't want to stifle his creativity at all. So I'm saying, go ahead, write them. We'll take them out later. Well, once you take out those backstories, and of course you would have to weave in, you know, a sentence or a paragraph about the key motivating force or whatever, but right. he's going to end gorgeous, sleek, beautiful story that is hope very so. fully realized. I hope so. That's the goal. <laughs> I bet it will, too. If he's at 600 pages now, that's that's a lot. It would have to be a really gripping story. But if he, if he, if he strips away the backstory and puts it in a companion volume, he's going to, he's going to end up with, you know, a lean, mean fighting machine. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be spare and gorgeous and really, really complete because he's, he knows those characters so well. Exactly. Exactly. Although it's a YA coming of age fantasy novel. And so you follow this girl's life from the time she was six through early adulthood. And of course, it's filled with magic and, and all sorts of wonderful, wonderful stuff. And so it'll, it's perfect to have a companion. A, a companion with it. And it will, itself will be a long book. But that's fine because it's a nice coming-of-age story. That's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah. Sounds really good. Yeah. That's very enjoyable. Uh, did I cut you off beforehand talking about asides and Shakespeare and William Goldman on the scene's purpose because I don't think so. Although I did remember there's another book or a series of books, also YA actually, um, that uses footnotes very, very well. It's the Bartimaeus series. Okay. All right. um, Where basically all of the world building is done in footnotes and those footnotes are made up of short stories and just, and Factual, in quotes, information about oh, right. the world. Right. And, and so it's loads of fun. <laughs> Infinite Jest. I'm thinking back. I read David Foster Wallace's book, Infinite Jest, once and was dumbfounded by it. It was so gorgeous. But I never went back and read it again. So my, my, my memories may be vague. But if I recall correctly, he used abundant footnotes. And in some of the footnotes, the plot moved along quite briskly, right? I mean, you were, <laughs> you were not rewarded for skipping the footnotes. And that was, that was tremendously skillful. But I think that he is probably at a slightly different level than me, for example, maybe just a little. <laughs> <laughs> I think a few leaps and bounds ahead of me and just about anybody we know. <laughs> That's probably right. But to bring us back around, The whole point is that you, when you sit down to write a scene or when you are editing your book and putting things together, forming the complete whole, you really need to know why, why a scene is there. Will you, will you share with us uh, just in the example of chess scene? uh, I know your goal is to make her 
appear more than just a society miss, right? She's smart, she's funny, and she's quick. Mm-hmm. And she can play. I assume who wins? Who wins the chess match? Oh, she does, of course. She does, of course. What's his goal? Um, his goal is to get to know her huh? because this is a completely different side of her character that he never expected to see. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And is her goal to intrigue him or is her goal yes. to, yeah, she, yes. she knows she likes him. She likes him. She's also wanting to do something completely different. So she is, she's pretending to be a princess. She's taking the, the place of a princess and the princess um, has to learn how to walk properly and wear a mantle and a crown and she's going to be um, crowned heir to her, her father's throne. And so she spends her days walking around with books on her head, sitting down and standing up and sitting down and standing up, not losing a book. And so she's totally sick of this. So she escapes to the library to do something completely different. Yeah, I see. I see. She needs a break. She needs a break. And then he comes in and catches her. And the problem is, is that the person she is impersonating, the real princess, is a sportsman. She would never be caught dead in a library. Got it, got it, got it, got and it. And so this is the heroine showing her true self. Nice. Love it. Oh, I love <laughs> it. You're doing uh, a sort of a, a romance version of The Prince and the Pauper. You're doing a switcheroo. Yeah. Like uh, Prisoner of Zenda. Nice. I've never read Prisoner of Zenda. Oh, my God. I have to do that after. Yeah, so. I actually, huh, I'm terrible. I've only read about half of it. But you get the gist is in, it's, yeah, she, the the protagonist is forced into taking the place of a, a royal. Nice. Because the royal isn't there for whatever reason. So in the Prisoner of Zenda, it's because he was drunk off of a, off his ass. Um, in my book, the princess has disappeared to go and find her brother who has been reported as dead. And she knows that he's not dead. And so she's gone off to find him. And this, so, is, this is excellent. This is excellent. I'm thinking of other situations. Do you know the Kevin Klein movie, Dave, where he's yeah. a... a- who stands in for the president and then sort of becomes the president. That's like, (laughs) right. See, that's the point of the prisoner of Zenda as well, is that the protagonist who is not the Royal actually does a better job than the real Royal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, how fun. What a fun that is. uh, You know, we talk about uh, romance uh, tropes and that's one, I don't know if it's a romance trope specifically, but this sort of mistaken identity or, or assumed identity or yeah. reluctantly assumed identity. Uh, uh, it's uh, Star Wars, whichever Star Wars one where you realize that uh, Natalie Portman is the queen and not the woman who's dressed up as the queen. Oh, it's excellent. It's not yep. even um, okay. Well, I've, I've wandered this far afield. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> right. The, every scene has to have a purpose. Every scene has to have a purpose and you should know what it is. <laughs> you should know what it is. I agree. And I think that would move things along. And, and the phrase that I made you repeat, I really like either they get their goal and that moves the story forward or they don't get their goal. And that creates conflict. Yes. That's valuable to know, valuable to remember, write it down <laughs> girls and boys. That's a good point. 
<laughs> okay. So, Prue, next yeah. week, yes. Facebook ads. Facebook ads. And what's the name of the expert you found for us to talk to? Victoria Pinder. P-I-N-D-E-R. All right. All right. I'm particularly interested in Facebook ads because I've been throwing money at them. Right. So I I would like to know what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. So I'm I'm and, I'm and Vicky is an author herself. She is not a marketer. She is an author who just knows so much about Facebook ads that I just I can't wait to pick her brain. Awesome. Awesome. I'm totally looking forward to it. All right, Meredith, I am going to go upload some books now. <laughs> Good luck with that. And then buy some promo stacking ads. And what are you, are you going to keep writing? I am going to keep writing. I just poisoned my princess or my oh. fake princess. <laughs> oh, poor thing. She's going to be okay though, right? Of course, of course. But you know, with it, it's that moment where the hero realizes just how much he cares for her as she's laying dying in his arms. Uh, uh, <laughs> I know the purpose of that scene. Exactly. <laughs> well, you're booming along pretty quickly then, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I have two. I have a really big scene and then the black moment. Nice. nice. You're booking along. That's good for all the rest of us who are waiting to read it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Meredith Bond. Thank you, Prue. I'll talk talk to you next week. Okay, bye. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week. (laughs) 